Hello. Welcome. You may think you found your way here by mistake, but we both know that's not true. You've been wandering for a while, casting furtive glances and making hesitant false starts in search of just the right fit. Nothing too crazy, while also being maybe not too safe. You want to know, but you don't want to know. Isn't that the case? Well, you are here now, cozy in my little tent, hidden from the rest of the harsh, strange world, to spend some time in a slightly stranger, albeit softer world. Sit. Make yourself comfortable. Your secrets are safe here. You've visited on a very auspicious day. The 13th. It's a full moon. Gratitude and thanks are the best full moon magic. But this isn't just any full moon. The 13th is the blood full moon in Aries. Fire sign. Traditionally male energy. Any kind of spell workings to do with invoking your own will or force, fearlessness. Those are the good spells to do with an Aries moon. But today is also Sunday. Sunday is a good day for rituals or spells to do with healing, blessing, or anything generally positive. From the 13th to the 17th is also the time of the demon Bathine, Duke Bathine, familiar of wart cutting, herbalism, stone and crystal magic, and also a very powerful ally when it comes to astral projection and dream work. The time for Bathine's invocation or evocation is sunrise to 12 noon. We are currently camped on the edge of a rather old town in the Commonwealth and one of dubious beginnings. The original settlement was a Leni Lenape community, comprised of several smaller villages. It later became known as Mothering Town, or Murdering Town, and in the mid-1700s, George Washington passed through one late December while on a mission to Fort LaBeouf and was shot at by a French-allied native. Years later, there was a rock place to mark the location and locals commemorate it now and then. About 50 years after Washington's near hit, a German pietist and his followers came to the area and named the land they'd bought after their society, Harmony. When the Harmonists decided to take their show west, they sold Harmony to a Mennonite man, and it is his people that in 1869 built the Walled Cemetery, which includes a revolving one-ton stone door that is very interesting from both aesthetic and engineering standpoint. It is said the door represents the entrance to the afterlife, but once you push past it, you will find only one headstone. Harmonists did not believe in marking graves with the names of the dead, but for some reason a non-harmonist erected a headstone marking the grave of the son of the Harmonist Society's founder, 57 years after his death. It just goes to show that no matter the time or the religious orientation, People have always vandalized graveyards. In this case, it was Mennonites desecrating a harmonist cemetery, not by knocking down headstones, but by installing one. 
So many superstitions about burial. The deceased must be carried feet first, wear gloves to prevent contact with casket. Burial must take place before sundown, preferably on the day of death. Cemeteries must be oriented to face east. You seem dubious of what I'm saying, but I invite you to conduct a little experiment. Take a compass or your smartphone with a compass app to a cemetery and stand next to a headstone. Make sure that the side of the stone with writing is facing the same way you are and see which way the compass needle is pointing. If you should happen to find that the graves are not oriented to face east, make note of the section you are in and inquire at the cemetery office if they have a section reserved for non-Christian and non-Jewish burial and see if that's the section you were in. If you find that the section you were in was, in fact, for Christian and Jewish burials, ask the person at the cemetery office why the graves aren't oriented facing east and see what reactions you get. All of this talk of cemeteries reminds me of a family. They live in an area not far from where we are camped at this very moment. A place where the mountains are taller, the valleys are deeper, and cultural practices tend toward the older and traditional. In these places, death and burial is dealt with more intimately. The dead are buried on family land and are quite literally never far away from the lives of the living. This family had a terrible and tragic event transpire that was sadly preventable but, unfortunately, not so easily rectified, even by someone such as myself. This family I'm speaking of is neither rich nor conventionally powerful, but they are prolific, and their land has been in their family for centuries, before the birth of this nation. Even before George Washington had his incident with the native fellow we were talking about just a little bit ago. Like other families in their region, they have a family cemetery on property, and the way the location was decided is a chilling tale on its own, but that story will be for another time. I mentioned before that this family was not wealthy, but just as is the case with the majority of humans, despite economic status, there are a few costly purchases a person must make in life, some examples being funeral and burial. There are some details with these matters that can be done more cheaply than others, grave marking being one. As a result, most of the family members had simple or homemade grave markers. Since family was who tended to the maintenance of the cemetery, location of graves and making sure the fragile markers were replaced to the appropriate grave when they had to be moved from mowing was not an issue. Generations of people had lived their lives knowing nothing but the cemetery practice. Well, it happened that one female member of the family named Mary married and went on to have nine children, seven of which were girls. The eldest son was paralyzed by attempt on his life, which limited his ability to contribute financially to the family, as was common practice. A few years later, their father passed, but by this time, several of the daughters managed to marry men that had decent-paying jobs that allowed them to get ahead financially enough that they pooled their money to buy their mother and father real headstones. The third eldest daughter made all the arrangements with the memorial mason for a double headstone, and after it was installed, she hatched a plan to present the gift to Mary on Mother's Day. It's here that I need to tell you. Mary was a nervous and high-strung woman. 
She was continually plagued with frightening experiences, terrifying sightings of otherworldly descriptions and haunts of all varieties. Death was a constant worry, and she lived her life strictly adhering to old superstitions and a crippling belief in omens. So how her third eldest daughter thought that presenting a headstone that bore Mary's name and birth date, with only an empty space for the inevitable date of her death, was a good idea, no one ever knew or ever learned. Nevertheless, Mother's Day came, and Mary was taken to the cemetery under the guise of placing flowers on her mother's and grandmother's graves and visiting the grave of her husband. Upon seeing the double headstone and her own name inscribed, she became hysterical, weeping and screaming. With the help of her daughter, her daughter's husband, and children, she was taken back to the car, and when inside, she demanded to be taken to her eldest daughter's house. Once there, Mary made her eldest daughter promise she would not let Mary be buried under the stone or in the grave she had been shown, and despite the bad blood it would create in the family, she promised Mary she would never allow such a thing to happen. Years passed, and eventually so did Mary, and despite her sister's insistent badgering, Mary's eldest kept her promise and saw to it that her mother was not buried under the double headstone, but in a grave considerable distance away, and with a simple, tiny, improvised marker, creating a rift in the family that has lasted to this day. Now this story could end at this point, and just be regretful and a little sad, but alas, there is more. Years went on, Mary's children died, her grandchildren moved away and had great-grandchildren that all lived in faraway places, some never even knowing Mary's name. This eventually led to the maintenance of the cemetery being delegated to a family neighbor, who then delegated it to an in-law, and I'm betting that you can guess what happened. The in-law was not as diligent a groundskeeper as the neighbor and his neglect led to the cemetery becoming so overgrown one spring that the only way to clear it efficiently and in the time allotted was to remove the small markers and mow with a tractor. What the in-law didn't do was keep record of where all the markers belonged and when it came time to replace them, the markers that he could not remember the location of, he put into the bed of his truck, drove to where he lived, and threw them away. And as you've probably already surmised, poor Mary's marker was amongst those discarded. You may be wondering how I came to know this story. Remember when I mentioned that Mary's family wasn't conventionally powerful? No? Well, rewind and listen. I'll wait. It's at the 5 minute 38 second mark. Okay, caught up? Good. Now, it just so happens that in my travels, I became acquainted with a certain woman. She sought my services to see if there was anything that could be done to help her great-grandmother, who was deceased, but very upset and far from being at peace. She then told me that she had recently traveled on Memorial Day weekend to visit the family cemetery. It had been on her mind because she hadn't been able to visit the previous couple years, and she was grateful her schedule had at last let her be able to make the trip. But as she got closer, she became more and more uneasy, and then felt an anxious and annoyed presence with her. 
she had had a lifetime of similar experiences due to her inherited family gifts, but this energy was so frenetic she couldn't get clear communication. After checking to make sure her loved ones were all right before she lost signal, she did her best to maintain composure until she arrived at the cemetery. There she found it not only in a disorganized state of chaos, but also, alarmingly, devoid of her great-grandmother's grave. As she was standing in the cemetery trying to figure out what had happened, the presence provided bits and pieces enough that when she drove to the nearest town with cell phone signal and activated the family phone tree, they were able to find who the guilty party was and what had happened but to no avail. And could I be of help in any way? As I listened to her story, I could see Mary, uncharacteristically quiet but listening in earnest as her distraught great-granddaughter explained her plight. Mary had been gifted as well, but being raised Christian, she had been told her gifts were not from a loving benefactor, but a demon, determined to condemn her to eternal damnation. Mary's efforts to deny her gifts to gain the favor of a puritanical idol had been lifelong and cost her dearly, eventually leading to the splitting of her family. Now here was one great-grandchild, equally cursed, but possibly her only chance at having her desecrated remains retrieved and properly marked. The situation was delicate. I won't go into the details of my suggestions, only to say that I do not have the legal power nor the finances to intercede and do what must be done to help these two women and the remaining family. I have made myself available to Mary's great-granddaughter to help her manage her gifts and facilitate communication between her and Mary. I also have my own line of communication with Mary herself and try to help ease her anxiety and the regret of not agreeing to accept her daughter's gift all those years ago. For you see, if she had, her remains would have been safe from the laziness and ineptitude of the callous and cowardly in-law. But her fear and denial now kept a part of her at that old cemetery, guarding and lamenting her now invisible grave. And you see, life, death, burial, humans have been dealing with these things as long as there have been humans. And in some cases, there are animals that deal with death very intimately. Elephants being an example. Death should be part of our life. But a lot of our modern society feels that death is like a dirty secret that we have to hire hazmat crews and specialists in order to deal with it. It's distasteful, it's depressing, it's scary. For those of European descent that are listening, what I'm about to say is not going to be probably a very much surprise to you, but I think that it bears repeating. Here we are on the 13th of October, and at the end of the month there will be a holiday that is observed in America, and mostly looked at by Americans as just an enjoyable holiday. Some will argue that it's for children. Some will argue that it's for p- children of all ages. And in Europe, 
in some places in Europe. It is also celebrated, the British Isles being probably the most popular place. But this day, Halloween, is based on an ancient pagan holiday. And for those of us of European descent, these are our ancestors who felt that at this time of year, our dead, our ancestors, had the ability to come very close to us from the other side. This, on its face, doesn't sound like a scary time to be visited by those that have gone, people that we loved and knew. But our ancestors knew that not everybody that came back was nice or good. So they put in place kind of safe modes, practices to trick the unwanted spirits that would also be walking around when the veil got its thinnest. This was a practice that was kept, well, like I said, here we are in 2019. But there are powers that be that want to end this holiday. Those powers that be, it is no secret whatsoever that they are of a Christian faith. And upon learning that Halloween is a pagan holiday, a pagan holiday that could not be depaganed, despite their most valiant efforts, this holiday now needs to be stopped. Totally. Taken off the calendars and off the schedules of Americans. Because presumably... Christianity is the ruling religion and the only one that matters. Now, I must tell you, because we don't really know each other that well yet, this is not a belief that I have. I do take my cultural history and relationship with my ancestors very seriously, and I do celebrate it as a holy day, a day of reverence. <clears throat> Excuse me, I was taught that. And I still practice it, as I do with my family. I've raised my children that way. It's not just a time, of, of course they, they went trick-or-treating and dressed up, and I tried to give them as healthy of an American childhood as I could. But they were also taught that the fun holiday, the scary holiday that they saw on all the television shows and with the specials, was the same holiday that we celebrated in order to honor our ancestors and our family and our culture. But along with this, I taught them that there were other cultures and other ways of celebrating, not just on Halloween, but 
many other holidays. And that we may not practice that. It may not be part of our way. But in our country, it was allowed. It was considered a right to be able to practice your religion as long as doing so did not break a law of the nation. You could not harm a person. You could not commit a crime against another person. Uh, You could not willfully destroy property. Um, Anything criminal you could not do in the name of your religion and have it be protected. This is something that I believe and I support. And the movement to have this holiday, Halloween, which, yes, is a very important holiday in my household, in my family, if this was allowed to come about, not saying that it is, and I will do my best to prevent it from happening, but if it was allowed to happen, it opens the door for the opportunity for many more holidays and practices to also be taken off the calendar and try to be pushed away out of the daylight into the shadows and hopefully forgotten all because one religion managed to get power and decided that it was so. So while I do have a cultural investment in this, it's not my only one. And I'm going to add this one little note before I wrap up my little editorial rant, if you will. These very same Christian power dealers and government that so bravely want to stomp out a pagan holiday are not being honest with themselves because there is a pagan holiday that Christians willfully and with great gusto embrace and celebrate the difference between it and Halloween is that they almost managed to make themselves and others believe that it wasn't pagan and that's Christmas there are people out there I've heard you I've read your comments, I've seen your posts, I've seen your Instagrams and your Reddits and many other ways. You the young ones and people older that are not afraid to say that the holiday that these Christians celebrate as belonging to their Lord and Savior was only put on that day so that the church could maintain control over its 
I'll call them vassals. They incorporated those people's pagan practices, renamed it, and told them that that was the day that their God, their Lord and Savior, was born. And they could not practice their pagan ways. They had to honor and celebrate and venerate the one true God. And it almost worked. They almost managed to uh, stomp out the pagan out of Christmas. But it didn't quite work. And my hope is that the people that know that, that have learned it, and they make their, their memes, they make their posts, uh, some of them are practicing pagans, not all. But I hope with this fight against Halloween, the one that they couldn't take the pagan out of, that they do not let any of the powers that be forget what their Christmas was based on. And with that, the night has grown older. In a few hours, it'll bring the morning and a new day. There'll be work to do. So it is time for us to say goodnight. Now you need not tell anyone you visited here. But if you should know of a friend or an acquaintance that you think may appreciate or benefit from my services, please take my info with you. Click into the show notes. You'll find my Patreon, email, website, and my phone number. Ladies such as myself have always known how to make themselves available wherever and whenever they're desired. So farewell for now. We will meet again soon in the Alibi Tent. Origin, late 17th century, as an adverb in the sense of elsewhere. The noun use dates from the late 18th century. <laughs>